You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Food delivery has changed a lot in the last 10 years, especially in a place like New York City. It used to be that a delivery person could work for one restaurant, hang out in the dining room while the orders came in, and never have to bike farther than a mile or two. But with the rise of Grubhub and Uber Eats, the bikes got more expensive, the rides are longer, and workers now have fewer and fewer protections. NYPD is on the hunt for the gunman who killed a delivery worker in East Harlem. Friends say Francisco Villarreal was taking a break inside a park on Monday when someone tried to steal his e-bike. The confrontation left him shot and killed. In New York, more than 65,000 workers have watched their industry transform overnight. Many of them are reaching a breaking point and they're taking action. Josh Jezza from The Verge recently wrote a feature about delivery workers in collaboration with New York Magazine, and he's here to tell us more. Hey, Josh. Hey. So, Josh, to start, walk me through a typical day in the life of a delivery worker in New York, particularly those you interviewed in Upper Manhattan. Yeah, so a, a typical day for a delivery worker, let's say a typical worker who works in the Bronx, maybe rides their electric bike south into Manhattan in the morning, signs into the app and gets an order, directs them to a nearby restaurant. They pick it up. It tells them to take it somewhere in a certain amount of time. They get there as fast as they can because they're rated down if they are late. They drop it off and then they take their next order and they sort of run back and forth filling orders like that through breakfast, through lunch, and it's fairly nonstop work. It's generally about a full 10 to 12 hour day, and then they go home. Throughout this, they are on alert for, among many other threats, often violent attacks for their electric bikes, which can can really happen at any time. Workers, you know, they know to look out for two people riding a motorcycle. That's a common way of being attacked. If they ride up behind you and you're at a red light, they're often armed. The other person is there to ride off with your bike. It might happen when you're, you've just dropped off an order and you go downstairs and you're unlocking your bike. You know, a group of people uh, tackles you and rides off with your bike. There's all these threats that they've learned to look out for. And, and this is in addition to the sort of constant threat of being on the clock and having to watch out for taxi doors and, uh, you know, puddles that they might skid out and, and sort of the, the, the normal quote-unquote, dangers of delivery. And then when their dinner deliveries are done, they go back home. A lot of the workers I spoke with biked over the Willows Bridge, which is this bridge connecting Manhattan to the Bronx. It's dark. A lot of the lights are out. It's pretty empty late at night. And workers have been getting ambushed on it. So people rolling out a city bike in front of their path, knocking them down, taking their bike, people with guns and knives, broken bottles. It's become sort of a particularly terrifying gauntlet at the end of their day. 
So let's talk about these bikes. The workers you spoke to put a lot of time and money into them. What makes these new delivery bikes better than the average Schwinn? And why can it be so devastating for them if they get robbed? Yeah, these are not normal bikes. These are almost universally electric bikes, uh, which workers say they need to meet the demands of the apps. And they almost all use a certain brand uh, called the Arrow, which is just a heavy-duty mountain bike, basically, with a battery on the back that uses a throttle to power and goes up to about 30 miles an hour. Good for New York, where the streets are uh, full of potholes uh, and you have to go fast and contend with traffic. These bikes are $1,800 for a new one, and that's before... You outfit them with the second battery, the racks, the lights, all the other equipment that you need. But they are essential tools to the job now. You lose it. You effectively can't work for the apps. You can maybe work a little bit if you if you happen to have a pedal bike, but you can't sustain the long hours and long distances, especially you know in the summer heat or the winter cold that, that you need to make a living. So you're essentially unemployed. So downsides of delivery work, like the danger of being hit by a car, uh, bad weather, they've been around for decades. But now these new apps bring new downsides with them. I want to ask you that. But first, can you help us understand how exactly these apps took over New York City? How do we get here? New York has a long history of food delivery, and maybe longer than any other U.S. city. But as you mentioned in the in the beginning, originally it was restaurants that hired people to carry food to sort of the immediate neighborhood. Then in the early 2000s, you had online ordering. You had Seamless and then Grubhub, which were basically just online listing services for restaurants that already ordered delivery. So, so it still looks pretty much the same. But then the mid-2010s, sort of the early to mid-2010s, you started getting the gig platforms DoorDash and Uber Eats and, and Caviar and these other ones, and, and they are really different. They had their own workers, gig workers, that they could send to any restaurant to order takeout and bring it to a customer. So they, they really started to offer unlimited choice. And they also had millions and millions of venture capital funding to subsidize this highly uneconomical model of you know, bringing one person, one juice from four miles away. And so that's that's what really changed. And then and then you started Grubhub added its own gig platform, merged with Seamless to compete. Everyone started to have to have their own delivery workers. So 15 years ago, if I ordered food for delivery in New York, the delivery guy that came to my door was probably working for the restaurant. And now they're probably working for Grubhub, DoorDash, Uber Eats. Tell us more about how these services and that shift change the way that delivery workers do their jobs? It's really different in some subtle but profound ways. Uh, I think the, the main the main one is that it externalized a lot of things that you wouldn't have thought of as perks when you worked at a restaurant. Having a roof over your head between orders, having a place to store your bike, having a place to charge your battery, you know, often free meals and a place to eat them, things like that. And instead workers became nomadic. They just sort of went from restaurant to restaurant to restaurant. They don't know the restaurants. The restaurants don't know them. Workers often refer to the app as the the phantom boss. Uh, it is 
both always there and always watching and quick to punish them if they're a second late or they weren't able to make a delivery. But it is not there if you need someone to explain that you couldn't make the delivery because you got in an accident or your bike got stolen or that you need 10 bucks to repair your bike. So it's both sort of the scary parts of having a boss, but but none of the benefits of having a human that, that you can explain things to and, and turn to. Well, all of this collectively sounds harrowing, to say the least. And it's worth noting that a lot of these workers are also immigrants, often undocumented. So these gigs may be the only option they have to make ends meet. But you explain in your article that sometimes restaurant managers can take advantage of this. Delivery workers have always been taken advantage of. Uh, you know, they're often undocumented. I've talked to workers who, when they worked in restaurants, they were paid illegally low wages, you know, only tips, things like that, or asked to fix their manager's, like, windows in his apartment. Thing, just things that are abusive. You know, I've heard a lot of complaints about verbally abusive managers. So it's not like, it's not like working for restaurants is always great. Uh, or some golden age, though I've also talked to lots of workers who really prefer it for the stability because they were lucky and got a good restaurant that gives them workers' compensation if they get injured, that has spare bikes for them to use if it gets stolen. It really just varies restaurant to restaurant. And what about the government? What has New York City, for example, done to, to step in? Yeah, I think for a long time, the New York City government was oblivious maybe, to the changes happening in the delivery industry. Uh, electric bikes were illegal for a long time. That has changed with the pandemic. Obviously, people started paying attention to delivery workers. The bikes were quickly legalized. Workers started to organize over the last year or so. On the one hand, you had the Workers' Justice Project, which is a, a workers' organization that worked with a lot of construction workers. They had begun reaching out to delivery workers when they noticed that delivery workers were the only people on the street and there was no one really looking out for them. At the same time, you had growing frustration with police inaction on, on the bike theft problem. Uh, a lot of it was centering around um, one worker that I spoke to for the story who ran a Facebook page where he would just post about recent bike thefts and put out alerts. And so, so that culminated in kind of an impromptu march, which then the two groups linked up and it became more of a formal organization. And they began formulating demands and, and pushing for new regulation and holding quite large rallies and speaking at uh, City Hall. Things like that became sort of a more conventional and, and quite effective activist organization and have pushed through... Uh, a package of bills to the city council quite rapidly. I just wanted to congratulate Los Deliveristas Unidos on your victory today and to all of my colleagues on this amazing legislation to help the delivery workers of New York City. With that, I enthusiastically vote aye on all. And like you said, it sounds like all this organizing work may be paying off. New York City Council recently approved a groundbreaking package of new laws that will make life easier for delivery workers. Can you tell us what's in that package? Yeah, it's a it's a big deal. It's um, there's several things. And the, the restroom access is important to workers. It's going to require restaurants to provide restroom access to workers when they're picking up orders. Some of the larger things it's going to do is set minimum per trip payments for workers. 
It's also going to allow workers to set limits on the distances they want to deliver. It gives them a little more control over these you know, extremely long routes the apps were asking them to do. It will require the apps to provide them with insulated delivery bags, which workers previously had to buy themselves. It cracks down on tip theft. It makes other sort of payment reforms. It addresses a lot of the big complaints workers have, though far from all. So, Josh, I have to ask, in reporting on delivery workers and and getting to spend time with them, has that changed the way that you do your own food ordering or or how you spend your money on on anything that's delivered to your house? Yeah, I typically, I didn't get delivery that often before doing this story. Certainly now, I think even more about it before I do. Um, I think the big thing it changed in my thinking when it comes to delivery is I'm more aware of the discrepancy between how apps present delivery options uh, versus the the labor involved. I, I heard a lot from workers where they would complain about traveling three miles to deliver a ice cream cone or a single bacon, egg and cheese or something like that and be given a tip that you know, to the consumer probably seemed reasonable, like a 20% tip, but 20% of an ice cream cone is 50 cents or something like that. And and I think the apps encourage you to do that because they give you those tipping options and encourage you to think as little as possible about the labor involved. And so I think that is something that I think more about if I were to consider getting delivery is that you're, it's not like you're at a restaurant, you're tipping for someone to personally hand deliver you a food item from who knows how far away. So for your average consumer, is there a way to take advantage of the growing number of delivery options and do so in an ethical way, in a way that really gives the credit due to the workers? I mean, tipping well and in cash is sort of the (laughs) the limit of consumer ability to influence the system right now. I think it's it's really an area for policy and and regulation. It's quite hard to sort of uh, vote with your dollar in this system, other than just giving the worker money when they show up at your door. Yeah, I think tipping in cash is always appreciated across any industry. Yeah, definitely. Josh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. This episode was produced by Alan Rodriguez Espinosa and engineered by Paul Robert Mouncey. As always, if you have something you want us to look into, you can email us at ricodaily at ricode.net.